What number is this, Chip? Zilch, 164. A five-album Monkeys tribute by Walter Cherry. Monkeys 101 for I've Got a Little Song Here. Tour dates. And the Dolan Sings Nesmith track list. Whew, that's a lot. That is a lot. Okay, don't, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I know. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast. everybody as always i'm one of your hosts sarah clark and joining me is christine wolf how are you sarah doing great oh it's uh you know kind of a nice day spring sort of starting to spring we got a little chilly again but um we've got a really fun episode today because most importantly we have information we have the new rescheduled post-covid m&m tour dates I mean, I was holding my breath on this one. You know, I think we all are. But, you know, spring is springing. Vaccines are coming out. We're all it's all like we're all coming out of hibernation. And this is like one of those signs I've been looking for that, you know, we're we're, we're not normal yet. But, you know, we can see normal from here. So <laughs> I always think about how I never claimed to be normal. <laughs> oh, no, I am not. Nor- normal is extremely overrated. I mean, in the context of these strange times we've all been living in you know i'm looking forward to getting out and you know going i don't know going grocery shopping more i mean you know (laughs) it's ridiculous but we have tour dates and we're going to get to go to concerts again um what uh we've got the situation here from monkeys live almanac uh put out the uh i'm reading off their website from andrew's announcement uh, as of right now, it looks like the uh, March, the date originally scheduled for March 18th in Vancouver was canceled. Um, also, the April originally scheduled for April 2 uh, at Austin City Limits at the Moody Theater has been canceled, but it will be moving to a new venue with details to follow. We have not got those details yet, but as always, stay tuned to Zilch. As soon as we learn about that date, we'll let you know. Here's what we do have. Um Now on September 10th, 2021, Moore Theater in Seattle. September 14th, The Crest Theater in Sacramento. September 15th, uh, the San Jose Civic at San Jose, California. September 17th, the Fox Performing Arts Center in Riverside, California. September 18th, the Magnolia in El Cajon, California. September 19th, the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix. September 25th, the Tobin Center for the Performing Arts in San Antonio. September 24th is the Majestic Theater in Dallas. Uh, We have a still TBD date, but it will be rescheduled for the Shermerhorn uh, Symphony Center in Nashville, Tennessee. 
On October 6th, we've got Iron City in Birmingham, Alabama. And October 15th at the IP Casino Resort in Biloxi, Mississippi. Good stuff. Can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, you know, I think it's just one of those things that we've all been looking forward to during this time and uh, the Eminem show. You know, I really enjoyed what they did back in 2019, and it's going to be good to see that show again. It's it's that band, especially, you know, that they Absolutely. always pick. I, I can't pick any, uh, like, they're my favorite backing lineup because they all have things to recommend to themselves. But, um, you know, they really do bring kind of a unique uh, kind of twangier thing to it. It's 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 very cool. So hopefully, um, you know, we will be there in the fall. And um, hopefully I'll be able to make some, at least one of the dates. We will see how things go. So that is what we've got on the tour front. And it sounds like we also have some news on the uh, on the album front. Why don't you share us share with that, Christine? Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, uh, we're talking about Monkeys 101 being I've got a little song here. Well, I've got about 15 little songs to talk about. <laughs> None of which are I'm going to buy me a dog, but we're going to get into that in the when Roseanne and I get started. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, there could always be a hidden bonus track. We don't know. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't when, actually put that past Christian or 7A. Like, like yeah. Mm. Mm, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Tell them the real track list. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, so for those of you who might not know, <laughs> there might be one or two, um, Mickey Dolenz is putting out a new album, and it's coming out courtesy of 7A Records, the uh, terrific record company that is uh, uh, just giving us great new material left and right. Um, it is being produced by Christian Nesmith, and it is entitled Dolenz Sings Nesmith, and that is an homage to Nielsen Sings Newman. Um, there are 14 tracks on the teal vinyl album. Those same 14 tracks are on the CD, but there is one bonus track that is available only on the CD. It will not be available for download. Um, and it will not, you know, the, if you want this track, get the CD. Here we go. The track listing, Carlisle Wheeling. Different Drum, Don't Wait For Me, Keep On, Marie's Theme, Nine Times Blue, Little Red Rider, Tomorrow and Me, Circle Sky, Propinquity, Tapioca Tundra, Only Bound, and You Are My One. The bonus track is Grand Ennui. What do we think of that track listing, Sarah? Well, I, first off, we both got our wish. Though so you just got yours on the CD because <laughs> I was hoping for Nine Times Blue and you were hoping for Grand Ennui, um, <laughs> in our last conversation. So that's right. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sure that, that Christian Nesmith and Mickey three months ago already knew that, but you know, hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the surprise to me was Carlisle Wheeling. I didn't expect that one to be on there, even though it's actually one of my favorites that um, Nez wrote ever. Um, you know, it's one of those, those deeper cuts that I always thought should have more notor notoriety than it has. Um, yeah, and um, 
I was really surprised it was on there, but very pleasantly surprised. I think Mickey's going to do an interesting job with it. And I know that you and I talked um, last time about how we hoped that they, you know, kind of do some deep cuts. And there are some deep cuts on here. There were a couple of tracks were like, okay, now which song was that? And 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 I'm I'm kind of the Ness head, so you know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. And uh, I- I'm glad they took that approach. Mm. Um, first of all, I think that as prolific as Nez has been over his career, um, that some of the lesser known tracks deserve a broader audience. And this is a way to get there. Um, you know, 7A put out a little teaser of uh, to to announce the release and there were just snippets of the first three songs and uh they are all totally reworked uh i wouldn't have expected nothing less from christian mm-hmm. uh, mickey sounds really really good on them strong and uh, uh i mean his voice is is you know it never seems to fail um, never seems to change a whole lot. Yes, yeah. I know. He's taken vocal lessons and he sounds a little bit less poppy sometimes, but he does not sound like a 70 something year old man should necessarily sound singing these pop songs. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a pleasure just hearing those little snippets. Um, I'm really looking forward to when the album proper comes out. It's going to be released globally on May 21st. But I have a scoop even for you, Miss Sarah Clark. Oh. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so 7A, Glenn uh, at 7A picked up the monkey phone. Which means he got a hold of Ken. <laughs> and, and Ken shared, he knew that we were recording and he shared this little bit with me. There is a single coming out and it's going to be released April 23rd. Um, I mean, it's a proper single. You Whoa. can pre-order the single on April, starting April 2nd. It is going to be digital only. Uh, and the single is different drum backed with propinquity. Oh, how cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning this live, same as y'all, Zilch Nation. I did not know this coming in. <laughs> oh man, that's going to be awesome. I better, uh, better make sure I get on that when it drops. So yeah. Cause those yeah, are April two more 2nd. of some of my faves. Yeah. April 2nd. Okay, folks, get ready for that. Oh, it's going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to this one. I mean, I am a fan of Mickey's solo stuff and like remember is, whew, um, you know, stranger, things have, yeah, stranger thing. things have happened is still my favorite monkeys solo album, but remember is, is, is a, a fairly close second, you know? I'd flip those two. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I say that, uh, remember is hands down the best solo monkey, um, album. And, uh, 
That is also I, a fair I, assessment. I've just I've been hanging out with Glenn and all the gang with the PTFB page a lot re- lately, getting ready for that uh, fan party we've gotten a few that's had true. a few months yeah. ago. So it's fresh in my head. But it, you know, if we're just looking at each an- album standalone, uh, you know, remember certainly by far and away the best of of what Mickey's done. I don't think anybody, you know, neither of us would argue with that. Certainly, but. It's going to be interesting to see if this uh, gives it a run for its money. It, it it seems like a similar concept, but you know, yeah, with, with Christian producing, should be really awesome. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, with all of that, your appetites whetted for tour dates and Dolan sings Nesmith. Uh, I want to jump into another cool project that we found out about uh, about three weeks ago as I'm recording this. Um, a uh, Nashville musician by the name of Walter Cherry. Um, I discovered this through the PTFB page of Memory Serves is uh, doing a five album cycle of monkeys tribute albums he is starting out with peter just released it called for pete's sake and um i reached out to him because i just i listened to that first track i listened to annie griselda I listened to some of his songs from his solo projects. He has several other bands in the Nashville area that he plays with. And I was just blown away with this guy. And so uh, we ha- really have a cool conversation about this project, about his monkey's journey, about how all of the monkeys have influenced his, uh, his art over the few years. And it's a really cool conversation that uh, we are going to transition into right here. everybody this is sarah clark and i gotta tell you back in mid-february i was bopping around facebook minding my own business when i share saw a post a friend had shared about a new project by today's guest nashville musician walt cherry it read i would never have guessed the first monkeys tribute album i would release would be solely dedicated to peter tork or that the first monkey song I'd ever record would be Auntie Griselda, but here we are. Now at the dawn of their 55th anniversary, and with half the monkeys gone, I knew it was time to begin this very personal and mammoth project. So I am very excited and a little intimidated to announce this is the first of five tribute albums to be released over the next decade, dedicated to the greatest rock band in history, The Monkeys. Uh, the first volume contains the top ten tour- tunes it uh, although this was the easiest to compile it was really hard saying goodbye to my fallen friend i have never had a more instant connection with anyone in my life uh so much so in later years he actually rose to become my favorite monkey um i really hope i did these songs justice uh so at with that that setup i had to listen and see what was going on here so i hit play on for pete's sake and when I heard what y'all just heard at the opening of this se- this segment and went down a Reverb Nation rabbit hole of Walt's multiple bands that he's had over the years, I knew I needed to get him on the show to share his stories, talk about this ambitious project, and more. So welcome to Zilch, Walt. Thank you. It's great being here. Thank you. Wonderful having you. Now, I like to ask this question of all of our first-time guests. What's your monkey's story? Well, um, I have been a Monkees fan 
really, uh, it was was February 1986, uh, a little thing called Pleasant Valley Sunday on fledgling uh, network called MTV. And uh, back then, I was not really a a rock person. Uh, I'm... I was, I brought up, uh, very much country. Um, I, I just caught this by chance and it was like, I was watching, I just watched this show and I was like, wow. And, and it was, I was, I was a monkey, literally, I was just hooked. I was a monkey maniac forever. Yeah. And, um, I just got to know their music and, uh, the first album I ever owned was Then and Now the Best of the Monkeys. My mom took me to my first Monkees concert in 86 in Hannibal, Missouri. That's where I'm originally from, actually from Fulton, Missouri, about two hours uh, east of there. And um, I've just uh, I've been listening ever since. I've got every Monkees album, Mike Nesbitt album, Peter Torgman, pretty much everything conceivable, uh, recording-wise, and, of course, the whole Monkey series. Yeah, yeah. And, and we actually just had the 35th anniversary of that MTV Pleasant Valley Sunday, which is also around the time I got into the band. And that was slightly depressing, but you know, (laughs) we're still here, right? It's a long time ago, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And based on what you shared, you apparently had quite the connection to Peter to the, to the point that you picked him to kick off this first, this, this series of albums. I'd love to know more about that. Well, Again, a little backstory about that. Um, when when uh, when Davey died back in 2012, I was absolutely devastated because I knew Davey actually very well. Um, he was the only monkey that I had known up to that point. <clears throat> I had seen him con- in concert several times solo, and he was such a wonderful guy. And I remember when that happened, um, I had first started kicking around the idea of doing uh, a Davey tribute album. In fact, I was... I was going to, I was supposed to, and then, um, unfortunately, circumstances beyond my control prevented me from doing so. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, um, I got busy doing other projects, and then all of a sudden, two years ago, um, you know, the inconceivable happened. And the, I had met Peter uh, a couple of years before that in 2015, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he was just... Such a great guy. I, oh, yeah. I'll never forget um, just sitting down with him, talking to him, and just, like I said, I just had an instant, more of an instant connection with this man than anybody I've ever had in my life. I mean, we just, we, we talked shop, you know, we talked mm-hmm. guitars and pickups, and it was just great. And again, he just, it felt like we were, we were just old friends, you know, that yeah. we'd known each other forever. And um, I went to see the monkeys again in, uh, in Right after that 2015 here in Nashville, which is where I live at the Skirmer Horn. It was oh, I great. think I was at that same show. I used to live in Oklahoma before I moved out here to Philly. So that was, um, that was the first time I had ever seen the monkeys, just Mickey and Peter. Right. Know, just a duet. And I was thinking to myself, man, this is going to be kind of a strange, although it was a strange configuration with just Mike, Mickey and Peter too. I remember the first time seeing that mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Well, but anyway, um, it was a great show, and then in 2016, the next year, I saw them in um, in uh, Indianapolis at the yep. Murat uh, for their 50th anniversary. That was the last time place I ever saw Davey in concert in 2011, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was it. Was nice to kind of come back there and for my own sort of personal memorial, you know, for Davey. Yeah. And uh, 
and I, I it was it was great. And then in you know I saw in twenty um, seventeen the next year Mike and Mickey, and uh, I remember really missing Peter, and kept thinking to myself, man, you know we gotta we gotta get you know this trio together again. Uh, I'm not sure how anybody's gonna take this out there. Uh, diehard monkey fans, but I am actually a new monkeys fan too. Oh, that is kept, not a problem. We are, we are big new monkeys fans at Zilch Nation. No problem. <laughs> I'm really, really glad to hear that because, um, you know, them, Marty Ross and Dolan's kind of teaming up and thinking to myself, man, this is just, this is something I never expected. Mm-hmm. You know, a bonus that was like to happen. I'm thinking, and, and I, I, I met Mike and I asked him, I said, dude, you know, you and Peter and Mickey, you guys got to get together and you guys got to tour with the new monkeys. And he seemed to be really, you know, receptive to that yeah. and being like, you know, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. It's like, you know, and, and I remember, remember something he said to me just really haunted me when I said, you guys got to get back together and do this again. And he was like, yeah, you know, there's not very, very many of us left. Yeah. And then <clears throat> after that, we lost Peter. And I remember when my best friend told me, he said, dude, I'm so sorry. And oh my gosh, um, I just, it, it was, man, what a bad day. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, I had decided that, okay, we have the monkeys are now gone. So it's, it's time to, um, I did, I was doing a show here in Nashville at Cafe Coco mm-hmm. and I had announced on stage that, uh, that I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do a tribute album to Peter Torque. We got the studio. It was pretty soon after that. I compiled, um, I was doing, I was doing my top five favorite Peter songs live right. at that show that night. And, um, I was trying to figure out all the ones that, you know, that I was going to do. And obviously Auntie Griselda has always been a really fun one. Uh, I always enjoyed, you know, seeing Pete perform that live. My mm-hmm. favorite Peter song is Pete Sang. That's one of my absolute favorite monkey songs, period. Yeah. And it's, so I was it's, them out. it's one of mine up to there too. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's great. And, um, I got to the studio and that was the first one we did. I worked up Auntie Griselda and I just, and I remember my, um, my engineer and musician, uh, partner who was, you know, working with me on this, you know, we definitely, he was definitely laughing quite a bit, you know, with the song because, you know, obviously at that part. And I remember he was, he was watching, he's seeing the show. And of course you get to that part where, you know, Peter starts to do that, ah, ah, and everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's just losing it in the audience. And it is, a, it's, it's a, it is a really funny song. Yes, absolutely. And so got that one finished and I was like, wow, it sounds great. And I just shaking my head. It's like, like I said, I've been a monkey maniac for so many years and there's so many songs that I have adored so much. Like that was in this is now, which is my favorite monkey song mm-hmm. going down. Which is like when I first saw that video and Nikki performing that video, I was like, "Oh my God, this is not a man, this is a god." Yeah, you know. And uh, <laughs> seriously, and, you know, and I'm shaking my head, being like, "I can't believe Auntie Griselda is the first monkey song I ever recorded." <laughs> that just blew my mind. <laughs> but over the next couple of years, we did it. Uh, we did those ten songs, and I'm so proud of them. And again, uh, with Peter. You know, I, I, I hate to say it this way about that. Like I said, it was the easiest to compile. And the only mm-hmm. reason that is is because it seemed very many, you know. Yeah. I mean, I had, you had to really go to, like, missing links and, and, like, the unreleased stuff, you know, to find a lot of this, a lot of these um, gems. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, can you dig it? And 
sing, which originally Mickey sang. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, though Peter wrote I've it. I've heard Peter. Oh yeah, his, yeah uh, I, I prefer Peter's version absolutely. Um, no, no offense, Mickey. Um, <laughs> but uh, if there had been an eleventh song, what, what would you have put in there? Because I thought it was interesting that oh. everything in there had been had had some sort of monkeys connection. It had been released by the monkeys in some form or fashion. Even MGBGT, that's a little mm-hmm. lesser known one. Um, was that a deliberate yeah, choice? That one, that was an eleventh hour decision too, actually, because uh-huh. um, had a hard time. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say this <clears throat> above and beyond the first two songs on the Griselda and, um, I don't think you know me, mm-hmm. which is actually, I don't think you know me is kind of a cheater because I first knew that song as, as a, a Nesmith song, but I, I, but Peter, uh, I remember hearing the Peter's version and he did it in concert in 2011, which was really awesome. Again, one of my absolute favorites, mm-hmm. but these songs were not easy. They were really difficult to figure oh, out. Yeah. And I didn't think they were going to be that as difficult. And we're in the studio just like, oh my gosh, like what? Like, what is he doing here? You know, and um, it, it just took us forever. Um, but I tell you, the, um, uh, the, the ones that didn't make it uh, or the ones that I had thought about are um, this, the other one on Poolit called Since You've Been Away. Mm-hmm. It's and a I fun do- little song, yeah. It's a fun little song. And I I really love Peter's version of Higher and Higher. Yes! And I've seen him do that in concert, and I was like, what a magnificent song. And uh, I tell you, the only reason I didn't do that song is because I, um, if I was going to do it, it would have had to have been the last song. I didn't want to do it as as right. a, a middle round song. And I was no, no, for Pete's sake, it's got to close this album. So... It just, unfortunately, that one just didn't, didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that would have been great too, but, uh, you know, I think it's, yeah. it's great, um, with, for Pete's sake. Who are you doing next? I know you've done, already done a few kind of standalone Davy songs. <laughs> Davy is next. Okay. Um, I released a single, um, I didn't think I was going to be able to get it done in time. I was very happy that I did. Uh, but I, I, I released a single for his 75th, would, would have been 75th birthday. Yeah. Uh, a couple of my favorites, It's Nice to Be With You. seen him in concert he would always uh in within the show he would say about that he got to perform all of his, all of the pretty little ditties mm-hmm. you know in the monkey show and he would always do that song which is always kind of funny to me because that song was never in the series no that, that song was premiered after the show had been canceled but it's a great song mm-hmm. and um and i remember just loving you know hearing that live and i had um i had uh um just by chance, 
uh, met this absolutely, you know, wonderful, talented uh, lady by the name of Caitlin Barnes, who is lives in New York City. Right. Who is an opera singer, and she had been posting acapella versions of monkey songs, and I was very captivated. Was like, wow. Ah. So we we kind of started talking, and she was like, "We ought to <clears throat> we ought to do one together." And I was like, "Yeah, you know, it's a funny you mentioned that." And and I sent her. Uh, the tracks and everything, and and uh, we you know we collaborated on it, and it was absolutely wonderful. Um, and uh, and the flip side to that single is a song called "The Road to Love." Now, again, with everybody being monkey fanatics out there, I'm assuming that people know this song, even mm-hmm. though it's a Davy solo song. Yeah, it's one of my absolute favorites, um, Davy solo songs and songs, and you know, and and that is that's. That's actually the namesake for the Davy album is going to be called The Road to Love. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was perfect because again, it's Davy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that is, um, that one is actually going, uh, to have to wait a little while because I'm working on that one in a court and also in conjunction with, um, the, the third one, which is going to be the actual monkeys uh tribute album like as a band like i said there's five of them right so that's one for each and then one album um I, I i was trying to decide which songs to do for each monkey <clears throat> and when i got to like last train to clarksville i'm a believer daydream believer i'm thinking to myself you know i really don't feel right about putting these songs as like in, into either a Davy tribute or a mickey tribute i was like i need to do a whole separate album of just you know, of the monkeys. Yeah. You know, where, where it's them, <clears throat> which I'm going to put out in 26, which will be the 60th anniversary of the monkeys as a mm-hmm. band. And so Road to Love will be released the year before, which will actually be the 60th anniversary of Davy's first solo album, um, which originally was supposed to be done in 2015. But like I said, that didn't happen. But right now that is the next, uh, the next step. Um, I have to admit, um, as much as I'm enjoying doing this, uh, you know, I, I warrant, um, I, I don't, I hate to bring on bad karma. I <laughs> want Mickey and Mike to be around for a long time. I don't yeah. want to start, I don't want to, I don't want to feel like that I'm racing the clock because it's like we keep losing people left and right. And, um, it's just, um, it's starting to be difficult to keep up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think a good way to think of it is I, I think these are going to introduce people, um, to the, uh, uh, like any monkeys project, but especially when it's a cover project like this, introduce, you know, your fans and people who stumble across you on Reverb Nation to monkey songs they never would have heard of. You know, the folks who like, you know, no daydream believer and a few, you know, like the four or five that everybody knows, but um, just hearing these things from a new, new direct source, it keeps it going on. That's why, um, that's why for Pete's sake was so cool to do because as much as I'm like, you know, wow, I can't believe I'm doing these songs first. But it's like, um, you know, there are uh, just realizing how awesome some of these songs are and how a lot of people have never heard a song like Come On In. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and when it came out in 90 and I, I first got that album, mm-hmm. um, I was listening to it. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. 
and it was like there was all these great songs on it. But and, and and I got but I got to I got to come on in, and I was like it was such a surprise for me because I was like wow this song is just this song is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean this literally could be the best song on the album, and I would have never expected you yeah. know it being Peter, you know. But uh, that one and um, getting in from Cool It. Mm-hmm. Cool It is my favorite album of all time, by the way. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're getting uh, pretty close to doing, we're getting pretty close. We've got Changes, Pool It, and Justice left in our album round, round table. So I'll have to keep that in the back of my head as we uh, put those yeah. together. And and I've got to say, getting back to Davey, I, I'd like to put in a vote for you doing um, You and I from the, the instant replay one, the, you know. From, uh, oh, Oh, that's right. There was one called You and I thought you uh-huh. meant the that, that Neil Young part. played on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did, didn't he? Well, yeah. I know that. Uh, I know that we're um, uh, we again back to pool at every step of the way is is um, <clears throat> is definitely going on that record. That's one of my favorite songs. Again, getting in, I was really surprised how much um, that song means to me now. Uh, I yeah. really, that one really has, has become a, a sentimental favorite of mine. But yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, that, that is a good one. I definitely keep that one in mind. Yeah, it just, it got me thinking, um, long title when I was listening to, to, to yeah. your take on that one. I was like, oh man, I, I, you guys could do a really tasty version of you and I too. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I remember somebody kept on asking me about Peter Percival Patterson's pet pig voice. <laughs> they were just like, they were just like, is that real? It's like, dude, that can't actually be real. Did you just like me? I said, no, man, that was an uh-huh. did from an album called Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Joe. Uh-huh. <laughs> Doesn't everybody know this stuff? <laughs> I thought everybody knew that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. a very entertaining album to to produce. <laughs> I imagine it was. I, I you know, I, it had to have been so much fun to do, especially, you know, and I I hope so since it's number 1 of 5, but uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, and Mickey I think is going to be fun too, especially if you focus on the ones that he wrote because he didn't write very much, but mm-hmm. what he wrote was just so interesting, you know? Yeah, that is yeah. true. That is true. By the way, I want to say uh, to everybody out there in uh, Facebook and uh, and and uh, Computerland, thank you very much. I am number six on Reverb Nation. I've never charted that high before, uh, so this this has been really cool, and I'm very glad that everyone has enjoyed uh, the uh, the tribute album very much. So. Yeah, I know we've been enjoying it in the Zilch Facebook group, and and it's you know, and I've heard several people mentioning it. But um, you definitely deserved it in any case, even you know, even if if it was sort of the monkeys that helped push you up there, because uh, in the course of just kind of tr- messing around with your back catalog in Reverb Nation, I, I, I found out you're actually in two other bands: the uh, Howboy Cats, love that name by the way, and Cherry Bomb. And and what would you like to share about those projects, and maybe um, some of your favorite songs from them well um the howboy cats uh is is something that is current um that's my country duet with my uh, partner uh henry james frame the third uh captain love and uh we have um we've been recording for a little over 10 years now on that uh as of right now um obviously we were performing you know quite a bit and then um then the pandemic hit everything at the wall 
um, we're we're still we're still kind of trying to um, to regroup. Uh, I know we're we're hopefully going to start working on a new album pretty soon of new material, uh, which will hopefully be out next year, and um, hopefully we'll get back on stage soon. Um, now, <clears throat> Cherry Bomb is uh, that was my rock band from actually some years back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's defunct for a little while, and we've kind of brought it back. Actually, I've, we, we've been working uh, on a, a um, on a Kiss tribute album. Uh, oh man, be, uh, Ken's going to be delighted to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so, yeah, we we got we got a lot of a lot of our favorite Kiss songs on that, and I am excited about releasing that as well. I'm also doing uh, working on um, another a new. Um, solo rock album myself uh, that'll be out next year as well, uh, of new material called The Metal Zone. Um, so that's in the works as well. Cool. So there's quite a bit of stuff on the horizon. And also, uh, 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 I think, um, now song-wise, uh, if, if we got a lot of good ones. Uh, Hot Chocolate has always been my favorite for Cherry Bomb that, yeah. that we wrote. Yeah, um, I also liked Lonesome Way. That that I was listening to that one the other day, and I mean, I, it got stuck in my head. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Now, Howboy Cats, um, uh, we've had several good ones uh, that I'm trying to think. Um, we did one called Redneck Romance. Yeah, that's a fun a one. Fun. And um, uh, Lay That Dollar Down, which is one of our newer ones. Mm-hmm. I really uh, like the one you just put out, Will You Be My Girl? Like yesterday when I first met you It was the same day that you won my heart too Took one look and one hello Oh girl, please don't come and go Will you be my girl? Yeah, yeah, that was actually written by uh, my my old writing partner um, and bandmate partner, uh, Michael Solid Gold Randolph, who also lives in New York. Uh, we had a band called White Noise back okay. in 2001, and we released it on called More Than Meets the Eye. And uh, we, we both uh, attended Belmont University here in Nashville at the same time. Yep. That's where we met. 
and we started collaborating. And I remember he came to me one day and he was like, I got something I want you to listen to. We hadn't written anything country. Like, yeah, we were, we were total headbangers. I can see that. that. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he had played me this song called We Be My Girl. And I was like, wow, that's a, that's, that's very nice. Very nice. And, uh, I just kind of forgotten about it for a long time. Then all of a sudden, a few years ago, we were looking for some stuff with the Howboy cast to record. I was like, and I came to Jim and I was like, dude, I got this song. Take a listen to this and see what you're thinking. He was like, yeah, yeah. And we got to the studio and um, I think Mike was very surprised uh, when we released it because I'd actually, I pulled uh, several of his songs out of Mothballs um, to record for um, my uh, last album that I did, Made in the USA, which mm-hmm. was in 2019. And so he was quite surprised to hear those, but uh but yeah, I hadn't hadn't thought about it in a long time. But yeah, that that is a real that is a fun one. I do love that one. Yeah, it's <clears> it's <throat> really good. And and you can um, I, I think these are really great. You can find them on Reverb Nation. Um, and and really, I I really recommend folks take a, take a deep dive into this because you will hear. I mean, there's all kinds of influences. I can tell you, you're you really, but you especially with Howboy Cats, you definitely got a country rock thing going on there. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we um actually take a lot of influence um from the monkeys. Yeah, I I can hear monkeys. that a bit. A lot more tambourine than you necessarily have to, and I, I've noticed yeah. some nezish things here and there. So yeah, oh, yeah. I, I just I can't help. Again, we we're like um we're we're both we're both very much edged into the um the sixties mindset. Oh, Jim totally. and I are. Yeah, he was. It's definitely more, he's a little more on uh, the psychedelia side, as Barry Gibb would say. Mm-hmm. Um, because he loves Jefferson Airplane and, um, you know, and some of the bands like that. Yep. Uh, me, of course, the Monkees. I'm a big fan of Love and Spoonful. And oh, we actually yeah. Recorded, uh, summer in the City uh, a couple of years back uh, for our we, for our summer single. And uh, my favorite song, Nashville Cats, uh, which I remember when I thought about the song and I was like, yeah, we got to record. That's kind of mm-hmm. a no-brainer. Cats. Um, so yeah, and then uh, again, it's really been seeping up into our our original stuff. Uh, very, just a lot of monkeys and like I said, and Nez and uh, my, my engineer uh, that works with us has uh, dubbed me the Great Tambourine because <laughs> I'm all tambourine in, in this because <laughs> I love tambourine. Yep. Yeah, it just adds that little thing. We should all uh, we all need. Yeah, it should be in all music. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think as much as I adore cowbell, and uh-huh. I, forever I will say, give me more cowbell. I'm also going to say, give me more tambourine. Amen. Amen. Well, if I hope we have int- int- interested people in listening to um, your Peter Tork project, <laughs> not the Peter Tork project, but you know, yeah. and 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 um, we will be keeping an eye out as the other albums in this series come out. It sounds like a really fun, engaging project. And uh, where can folks yeah. find out more about you? Um, you can actually go to reverbnation.com uh, backslash the Music City Madman. Uh, that's my, for my solo stuff and reverbation.com backslash the Howboy Cats for the cats and reverbation.com backslash Cherry Bomb 3000, uh, for Cherry Bomb for the new, uh, Kiss album that's coming out. Um, if, uh, uh, look for me on Facebook, uh, again, I'm the Music City Madman. Uh, so 
just uh, if you if you want to be friends, if you'd like to chat, uh, look me on there. You can email me if you'd like, uh, the Music City Madman at gmail.com, and uh, I will respond as quickly as possible. And um, I guess that's it. But yep, that's if you'd like to contact me or find out more, just uh, that's yeah. the way. Yeah, highly recommended. And I'll throw those links in the show notes for everybody, too. So thank you for uh, joining us today on Zilch Walt. This was great talking to you. And, um, you know, it's an honor. This is so cool that I couldn't believe it when you uh, when you uh, messaged me. I was just like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, well, I'll say what I say to, to people all the time when they get excited about, you know, seeing us at a show or we're handing out buttons or whatever. Zilch, we're just like everybody else. We just happen to own fancy microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. That's all. You do. Thanks again. Bye. Bye-bye. Zilch, Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, 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 Mr. So that was a really great conversation with Walter Cherry. I like bringing in, you know, folks who are involved in the monkey's world that maybe we don't know, that we can maybe kind of uplift these folks who are doing these really cool projects and tributes and covers of uh, Monkey's albums. We're in a really cool time where there are a lot of projects like these. And if you have something or if you know somebody who's doing um, some sort of project like us, make sure you let us know. Plug it on the Facebook uh, group. Let us know. We're always happy to uh, to plug artists like this. Um, but I uh, this got me to thinking just a lot about Monkey's covers in general. Um, Christine, what are some of your favorites? Well, you know, it begs the question, first of all, a monkey's cover. Are we talking about a monkey's song sung by somebody else? Or are we talking about a monkey who has, covers another song? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 this, we've actually talked about doing an episode on covers, both monkeys covering Solo monkeys covering group monkey songs and and separate people. Uh, you know, I, I guess. Um, wh- why don't you do one of each if you've got some good ones? Oh, I've come prepared, Sarah. Because <laughs> 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 I was ready to. Because you and I have similar tastes, and yeah. so I thought, well, if she says one of mine, <laughs> um. So uh, okay, in the a monkey covering a monkey song. I would have to say Peter's rendition of Take a Giant Step. Yes. I love the way he he just modulates the the tune a little bit in the chorus. Um, it, it's just a great delivery, and I wish that it had been the original. Um, I, I, I really can't hear it any other way, honestly. Yeah, it's, um, it's my favorite version of that song, hands down, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, as far as... A monkey singing somebody else's song? No, I mean somebody else singing a monkey song. Somebody else's song. Oh, well, well, I'm I'm still going to say, I'll I'll say it again. But okay, somebody else singing a monkey song or at least a rendition of it. Yeah. I am going with 
Mr. Dabalina by Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that one pops up on the Facebook group every few months. Like, oh, oh my gosh, has anybody heard this? Yes, we'll hear it again. It's really fun. <laughs> but hands down for me in the category of a monkey singing, covering somebody else's song, I, I will always pick Mickey with Sugar Sugar. Granulated. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the world's best musical inside joke based on an urban legend that wasn't true anyway, but we love it because the song cover's so awesome. <laughs> and it's freaking sexy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. Roseanne's the Mickey girl, but sometimes when he does that song, my goodness, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, you're always the April Conquest, so exactly. You're... <laughs> I refuse to pick a favorite because I, I uh, at times in my life, all of them have been my favorite, and generally yep. they stay my favorite for about fifteen minutes, and then uh, it's why does why does one need to pick? That's right. Why does <laughs> one need to choose? Fights of life. Exactly. <laughs> It's the same reason we have Neapolitan ice cream. You got to have it. You know, you got to have a blend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then. Of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's go to my uh, favorites. Um, yes. My favorite for a monkey singing a monkey covering a monkey song. I think I would go from remember uh, Mickey doing Prithy. Because uh, Peter did yep. it in 33 and a third and how they arranged it with like 50 facsimiles of him in this like big Gregorian chant choir. I mean, it totally leans into that, like being the world's most overwrought breakout up song. And it's like, OK, we're just going to go full goose into this. <laughs> I love that song and I almost put it on my list. Um, it's, you know, the whole Remember album is so incredibly awesome. And I wish that there was a way to have it performed live. It is totally a studio album, though. Oh, There's yeah. no way yeah. you could do it. So I there just put on the headphones, few, yeah, and, yeah, and just soak in it. Yep. Yeah, especially that track. But yeah, I know what you mean. There are a few tracks that you probably pull off live, but but yeah. Um, as far as my favorite uh, of somebody else doing uh, a monkey song, that is actually a Smash Mouth. <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is actually one I discovered via Ken. Um, those of you who have been around a long time or have some sort of sleep issue. And so you've like listened to the binge to the whole thing from the start. And uh, by the way, kudos to you. I, I, I like listen to them all once after they come out. And then I, I just, I, I hardly ever go back unless I need to research something, but like in the first five or six episodes, um, 
Ken and I did these little pieces called Monkey's Cover Corner, where we were talking about particular cover songs, um, particular cover versions of monkeys. And we looked at it both both ways, things that were later covered by monkeys and monkey songs that were later covered by other people. Um, this one is a monkey song that was later covered, I think in the 90s, if I recall right, by a uh, Christian rock band named Jacob's Trouble. And it is The Door into Summer, and it is an awesome version of it. And um, you can go back, I think, I think it was episode eight and listen to a bit of it in that episode. It's really um, a lot of fun. And you can also hear Ken and I in like the very, very early stages of Zilch. And I'm still Baby Ken to... and Baby Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ken was already the podfather by that point. I, I was still kind of figuring out what the heck I was doing. But fortunately, he was a very patient producer those early episodes. <laughs> a monk. Okay. So, and then for my third pick, which is a monkey covering a song originally by by a non-monkey, Peter Tork, higher and higher, hands down. Excellent choice. No question about it. <laughs> okay. Or so, till then. Yeah. Ah, oh, dang it. Now you've got me waffling. Ah, uh, okay. There are so many and so, so many. This is honorable mention. Need. Honorable mention. Till then. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so with all of that said and discussing cover corners, um, it's time to move on to Monkeys 101. Roseanne and I both had a great time with this one. Uh, it is the, uh, I've got a little song here, which is Mike's first spotlight episode. Um, you know, I, we'll get into it in the, in the segment, but, uh, I sort of see it as kind of a sequel to success story, sort of thematically. Um, it's uh, the second one like that, that sort of digs a little deeper into kind of the characterizations and we learn a little bit more about Mike and what he wants. And it also has just a little bit more, a little bit more sentiment, a little bit more heart to it than a lot of those uh, early episodes. And I'm really looking forward to sharing what Roseanne and I had to say about that. So uh, Christine, if you want to go ahead and ring the bell. Here we go. Class, class. It's Monkeys 101! Here at Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, we're big fans of education. But as Zilch Nation grows, there's also a growing number of fans who don't know their Frodus from their Freebull Energizer, or who've forgotten the departure time for last train to Clarksville. There are even people in this world who can't solve the equation nine times blue. Oh, but have no fear, because doctors Roseanne Welch and Sarah Clark are here to help with their new series, Monkeys 101. Their regular class sessions and symposiums on special topics will explore all things monkeys, from the deeper meanings of the TV show and music we all know and love, to the cultural impact of the monkeys from 1966 all the way to the present. We'll even explore the monkeys' connections to history then and now. Stay tuned for a fun, thoughtful romp through the world of the monkeys. And who knows? At the end of the episode, you just might be thinking about the monkeys in a different, deeper way. Welcome back to Monkeys 101. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Sarah Clark. And joining me, as always, is Dr. Roseanne Welch. Hello, everyone. Uh, today we are discussing episode number 12 of The Monkeys. I've got a little song here. 
Uh, monkey madness begins when Mike is conned out of 99.95 by a phony music publisher. Written by uh, one of our favorite folks, Treva Silverman, directed by Bruce Kessler. Film dates were August 1st through 5th of 1966, with an air date of November 28th of 1966. Ratings, 18.8 rating, 30.1 share, which works out to about 10.3 million viewers. Uh, came in second this week after a couple of weeks uh, uh, at the number one, came in just behind Gilligan's Island. Well, we should make a note here that, of course, in the course of time between our recordings, Don Wells of Gilligan's Island had passed away. Yes. Very yeah. sad. Very yeah, sad. Very there was sad. a girl in, the, in my childhood had to decide if you wanted to be Ginger or Marianne, and Marianne seemed like the nicer person. I'll go with that, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, anything you want to share about Treva? I know you've talked a lot about her in the past, or uh, I know you've got some stuff you want to share about Bruce Kessler. Oh, sure. Well, Treva, you know, just I think the important things about Treva is to notice as we go through it and people watch it. She came to the show because they wanted that quote unquote New York style sort of leftover vaudevillian Yiddish humor. Mm-hmm. And you see that in so many of the one-liners, you know. When I was your... How old are you, young man? 21. When I was your age, I was 22. <laughs> and of course, when he was that age, he was 23. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that kind of stuff, it's so interesting to find it a writer, a writer's voice. And that was very clearly her voice. And then more importantly, we'll notice on this one, the credit for writing is just her, where often it's the writer and Gerald Gardner and Dee Caruso. Which means they wrote so much extra, they got added to the credits. So in this case, it's her name alone, which means they didn't do much overwriting of her work, which is a compliment to a writer. Yeah, very true. Very true. Because I had noticed that about uh, One Man Shy, which is the next episode coming up. Spoiler alert. On that one, it's Gardner and Caruso and Treva. Exactly. So it makes a difference. But also um, that she likes Peter. She told me when I interviewed her, if she had to choose, Peter was her favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we noticed Peter being getting some good moments in this one. Um, And then look, one man shy is going to step up. Absolutely. Interesting. Then in Kessler world, um, I couldn't I couldn't help but laugh for a few reasons. Um, He was what we would call a journeyman director. He never landed on one show. He just kept working over and over in different shows. Yeah. But you can see the, the networking and the six degrees of separation um, because as I look through his credits, he worked on every single episode of uh, on every single show that Robert Wagner ever starred in from <laughs> It Takes a Thief to Switch to Heart to Heart. Wow. And then in a private six degrees of separation, um, he also directed an episode of Touched by an Angel, which, of course, is the show that I was a writer on. And is the show that John Anderson was a consulting producer on. And, of course, we know him as the assistant director of The Monkees and the co-author of The Protus Caper. Correct. Correct. And there's another Touched by an Angel connection here later, but we'll get to that when we get into uh, the cast. So Exactly. So yes. there we go. So that's what I think about those two that's worth knowing. Cool. Good deal. Well, with that, let's move on to the news. It was a little bit of a slow news week back in 1966 with one little uh, exception right at the end. Uh, On number November 28th, a coup in Burundi uh, overthrew the monarchy and a republic was declared. On that same day, the Dominican Republic adopted their new constitution. On the 30th, Barbados gained independence from Great Britain. Uh, we've seen a lot of these in the last uh, f- uh, few episodes. Um, lots of former uh, members of the empire, um, you know, asserting their independence. So, 
Yeah. That, that all happens in the late 60s. We're all post, of course, post-World War II. Suddenly it's not so cool to be a colonial empire. And it's interesting to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. And on December 3, the uh, U.S. performed an underground nuclear test in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. I was kind of surprised by that one. You know, think of the nuclear test all happening either, you know, out in the Pacific or like way up in like, you know, Area 51 or something like that. So... Yeah, hello, Mississippi. Well, Mississippi. No, I shouldn't say that. Take that out. <laughs> That's me being mean. <laughs> well, you know, one does wonder how much political clout they had, so. <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. And uh, last, but our, for our purposes, not least, and, and I was happy to see this made my This Day in History, just generic website I use. On December 3, television pop group The Monkees make their live concert debut at the Honolulu International Center Arena. How much fun was that? Can you imagine uh, being there? Well, yeah, I, I, that must have been quite the thing. Yeah, to to have been there that first that first time. So, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> something. something. We had to find a fan who was. Wouldn't that be a fascinating interview? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. <laughs> we, we need to put out the call. Anybody, if you're listening, if you were at that show, that first show, we we do have some, some I know, some uh, active folks in the Facebook group who are from that part of the world. You never know. So You never know. Or yeah. their parents. Or their parents. Cool. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, moving on to the fo- top five. Number five, up four, Mellow Yellow by Donovan. I'm just mad about saffron. Saffron's mad about me. I'm just mad about saffron. She's just mad about me. They call me Mellow Yellow. I like this one. Yeah, it's it's a good a good kind of you know chill one. We're getting a little bit more into the psycho jello sixties a little bit with this one. <laughs> True. Getting out of the, the beboppy fifties pretty pretty surely. Definitely, definitely. Number four, unchanged, uh Devil with a Blue Dress and Good Golly Miss Molly from Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Number three, down two, uh, You Keep Me Hanging On by The Supremes. I love this one too. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, number two, unchanged, a uh, longtime favorite of mine. Good vibrations by the Beach Boys, still hanging in there. And a reminder that the Beach Boys and the Monkeys, right? The same, the same fan base, the same time period, the same level of acceptance. Really? Yeah, very true. And then number one, uh, new number one, up to Winchester Cathedral by the New Vaudeville Band. Winchester Cathedral. You're bringing me down You stood and you watched out 
funny, speaking of vaudeville, what a strange name for a 60s band when you think about it. I know. Well, it's kind of, you know, there was sort of, yes, there was a, you know, one doesn't think about that when they're 60, you know, about the 60s, but there were a lot of kind of like 20s and 30s throwbacky kind of songs too. You know, the Beatles did kind of some things like that with, you know, When I'm 64 is the one that jumps out in my head right now. And, you know, of course there's Magnolia Sims that Nez did. Of course, that's a, that's about a year or so down the road, but you know, things like that. you're right. That influence is there. How, and of course, all this silly nonsense with Davy in different episodes doing vaudeville dances and things like that. There is that, that, um, remaining influence. Yeah. And they actually do a little gag about that in this episode, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. So sure. we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, our guest stars today. First off, Phil Leeds as Bernie. This one was really interesting to me. He actually started out as a stand-up comedy in the Borscht Belt. Um, he opened for a lot of the top acts of the 30s. Uh, he entered the Army during, during World War II and then uh, went back to stand-up. But then he actually caught up, got caught up in the McCarthy era, and he was blacklisted for a few years. Exactly. That's not a pretty time. And a lot of these guys came through it. What I found interesting about him was if you look back at his career, he literally worked from 1949. He died in 1998, but an episode of television he was in the year after was was aired. So he literally like was in the business his whole life. Yeah, yeah. And and fortunately, as Roseanne mentions, kind of once the Red Scare subsided, he started getting regular work again. And his big break was Dr. Shand in Rosemary's Baby. Um, and then he pretty much worked steadily from like the late 60s on. Uh, he was in uh, History of the World Part 1, excellent Mel Brooks movie, um, yep. Beaches and Ghost and... Um, He's been in everything at some point. If it was on in the eighties and nineties, he popped up at least once. But but kind of his repeat appearances were mostly on Night Court, the Larry Sanders show. He played Sid Bessel on that one. He was Uncle Mel on Everyone Loves Raymond, and he was Judge Dennis Happy Boyle on Alec McBeal. So it's cool. What's also interesting to me is you look back at his earlier before we get to that time period. Um, something like he was on. He played four different characters on Maud. In the course of three years. And that's because casting directors used to think that audiences wouldn't remember character actors from episode to episode, right? And we eventually realized people were more sophisticated than that. So in future things like Alan Beale, once you became a character, if it could be a recurring character, yay for you. Otherwise, you didn't show up playing a different character the next season, right? They just didn't do that. Exactly. Normally, um, when I put these together, I will list the the shows, only list the shows where somebody's appeared like more than a couple, three times, just because most of these people have like a hundred credits and, exactly. and we got to get to the episode. But this one, he had so many things where he appeared multiple times. I had to actually, okay, which, those, which are the ones where he's like playing the same character through? I, I really had to narrow it down or we'd still be rattling off his stuff. He had uh, quite the career and he's definitely worth taking a look at if uh, you get a chance to just messing around imdb oh yeah he's well all these guys have done the character actors in general that's what's fun about them oh yeah absolutely and that's kind of been the fun thing about going through these next up we have erwin sharon who is uh played the producer and if he looked familiar to you that is because he will be back soon as the mayor in monkey mayor <laughs> he will he will and i have to admit that it's another one of those moments where we're learning how not to always rely on easy humor from stereotypes because he's kind of being a pretty stereotypical you know jewish producer and treva was jewish but mm-hmm. those where the jokes came from you made fun of yourself right so it's Absolutely. kind of interesting 
yeah, interesting to look at that and go, okay, I, yeah. I understand. You know, wouldn't do that joke. Maybe today would do that character, but it made sense then. Right, right. And he had a lot of regular appearances, kind of like on variety show type things. Uh, he, he appeared on a, a lot of Red Skeletons and a lot of Lucy Ball's later TV series. He had multiple appearances on those, um, as well as Bewitched, Get Smart, and of course that classic, Herbie Rides Again. <laughs> not, not the Lindsay Lohan remake, but the original. No, the original. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Joseph Mel uh, plays Harry, who is the uh, police officer that uh, Bernie calls to, you know, pretending to be calling Joni Jans. Uh, he was in I Was a Teenage Werewolf in, uh, I think that was 57. He and you know who starred in that? Hmm? You know who starred in I Was a Teenage Werewolf? Remind me. <gasps> Other teen huge TV idol, <gasps> Michael Landon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His job before Bonanza. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually did appear. Uh, Joseph Mel also appeared in a lot of Westerns through the 50s and 60s. And I think Bonanza was among them. Uh, and uh, post monkeys, he had uh, had recurring appearances on the Doris Day show and Adam 12. Pretty cool. Adam 12 cop, cop shows became the new cowboys, essentially. So. Yeah. And, and that was an interesting one to me. I have been um, listening to this really cool uh, podcast on Dragnet, which kind of they ha uh, he has a similar format to ours. It's called Just the Facts and More. And he's going through all of the episodes of Dragnet and discussing them all. And uh, he kind of talks about how Jack Webb kind of would do sort of the same thing of he'd find a character actor that he really liked and he'd then put them in a lot of episodes like um, Burt Mustin, who's, uh, you know, the, the old man, the uh, butler in the Christmas story and he's Tarzan and, you know, all of that. He um, he also appears in several episodes of Dragnet as well. So you got to be friends with producers and they keep giving you work. That's the way it works. Absolutely. Next up, we have Owen McGivney, who plays the old man. Um, this was actually Owen's second to last uh, role before his death in 1967. His final job was a as playing a character called Charles in the Batman episode, Flop Goes the Joker. Um, <laughs> his career included multiple appearances on the Milton Berle show uh, and also the Ed Sullivan show, kind of in his capacity as a quick change artist. <laughs> Uh, that was a gig, right? That was a yeah. vaudeville deal. Absolutely. He's another one that kind of comes from the vaudeville era. Like, oh, I don't know, about 30, 40% of all the, you know, the, the side actors on the monkeys. And, uh, he also played Harry in the classic Hepburn and Tracy movie, Pat and Mike. A very cool thing, which means he worked with Ruth Gordon and Garson Kanan. Ruth Gordon and her husband wrote four movies in their career before they quit and just went, you know, they didn't want to work together because they argued too much, but they stayed mm. married. That was their job. Stay married, stop working together. So Pat and Mike is one of those. Yep. Yeah. And I know you uh, uh, had a connection you wanted to mention related to Owen McGivney. <laughs> just my joke being, for some reason, in my research on this episode, it became the Robert Wagner connected episode, right? Because first I was mentioning Bruce Kessler and all those Wagner shows. And um, McGivney, when he was a young man, played a steward on the 1953 version of Titanic, which starred Barbara Stanwyck and, um, and Clifton Webb. And was written by Charles Brackett, who is really quite a famous uh, screenwriter who worked a lot with Billy Wilder. And he won an Oscar for this episode, this script of the Titanic. But it's famous because it's another movie that has a young Robert Wagner in it. 
he's the little boy, you, the young teenage hot looking dude you almost lose, but you know, you have to see the, the movie to know how he gets saved. It's quite wonderful. And when I was a kid and I had a big crush on him, that was like, I love that Titanic. <laughs> Forget James Cameron. Forget him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rosanna's convinced me I need to go back and watch that version of the of the Titanic, so I'm gonna have to check that out. So, <laughs> we'll do a link to the scene with Robert Wagner in the in the credits. Excellent, absolutely. Next up, we've got Buddy Lewis as the Watchman. Uh, in addition to appearances on Mission Impossible and Get Smart, uh, he appeared on a lot of different variety shows, kind of like some of these other folks. Uh, the two that he was on a lot uh, were Red Skelton shows and the Joey Bishop show. Oh, that man, people forget the man had a show. Yeah. Joey Bishop. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. He did. He was right up there. I mean, he's right up there with the Rat Pack and everything for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. Next up, Mary Ferran plays Hilda, known for Gilligan's Island, Foxy Brown, and Bell Star's Daughter. Uh, <laughs> and another uh, repeat um, uh, guest on the Red Skelton Hour. Yeah, uh, let's see. Bobby Johnson, who played the postman, um, hands, hands Mike the, uh, the, the, the letter from Bernie Class that kicks off the plot at the start of the story. He had repeated, uh, appearances on the Amos and Andy show, Jack Benny and Hazel. Uh, he also had a lot of like short, I think uncredited, probably like non-speaking, uh, roles in a lot of movies kind of in the fifties. Two that jumped out were, uh, to, at me were, uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and North by North. Northwest. I'm going to have to rewatch both of those and keep an eye out for him. Well, I'm going to add to that list In Cold Blood. Oh, yes, yes. Which is a Truman Capote novel made into a film, and he plays a prison guard there, so near the end of the film. And I just think that's fascinating. Of course, that was Robert Blake got an Oscar nomination for that movie. Um, and it's just a, it's an amazingly well-filmed adaptation of a novel. But also, we should note that, you know, it's an interesting inclusion of an African-American mailman. How else are we going to get African-Americans into this show, right? We're in the civil rights movement. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. So it's a very specific, whether it's the casting director or whether Treva put that in the script, we don't know. Yeah. But they wanted to make sure that they began this step toward inclusivity and where else are you going to fit someone? But hey, the mailman and, you know, maybe a cop here or there, those kinds of things. So Bobby Johnson is, I think, an important inclusion in this episode. Yeah, I got reading his credits. I got curious about knowing more about the guy because he really had a very interesting, very long career. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, next up, we have Larry Gelman uh, as the director. Uh, one of Larry, this was actually one of Larry's first roles, and he actually appears twice more in The Monkees. He's the stage manager on Captain Crocodile and the salesman in The Christmas Show, which I hadn't realized until I read that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that guy. Right. <laughs> yep. And he had recurring roles on The Odd Couple, Bob, the, the Bob Newhart Show, not Newhart, the Bob Newhart Show. Right. As um, when he's a psychiatrist, right? Yeah, exactly. The psychiatrist, not the, not the B&B owner. Um, yeah. Maud and Eight is Enough, as well as playing the part of Larry on one episode of Touched by an Angel, Sandcastles, one of the story editors on which was, uh, uh, I won Roseanne Welch. <laughs> there you go. That show ran for nine years. My name keeps popping up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything interesting you want to share about that episode or? Um, no, I didn't write it, so I don't have any deep knowledge of it. You had to become a co-producer before you went to the set and actually could um, produce things that other people had written. So I don't, outside of sitting in the room when the ideas are talked about and helping build them, 
that's about it right now. But we'll get to some that I had more okay. involvement in. <laughs> cool. Good to know. I was just curious because I still, I'm still wrapping my head around like, you know, the show editor versus the writer versus the, the story. You know, it's, I'm learning all of this right along with everybody else, folks. <laughs> well, you know, as I said before, all those titles, they're just higher level writers. Like yep. in TV, those producer titles just mean you've been a writer there longer than other people. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of writers, this last credit was really interesting to me. Lee Chapman, who played, of course, yeah. Joni Jans, uh, shortly after this role, she made the jump from acting to writing, and she actually spent most of her Hollywood career there. Uh, she wrote on Mission Impossible, Wild Wild West, Mod Squad, and Walker, Texas Ranger, as well as uh, apparently numerous action movies. Uh, there was a fun quote from her on her IMDb page. Uh, she says, I wrote Action Adventure. I could couldn't write a romantic comedy or chick flick if my life depended on it. I could write a love story, but it would have to be a Casablanca love story and some people would have to die. <laughs> well, I think what's cool about her is um, for Walker, Texas Ranger, that poor pilot went through so many hands and mm -hmm. a friend of mine who was offered the job of executive producing it turned it down because um, Chuck Norris was famous for firing people like within six months. And the guy was like, I don't need to get all invested in this and then lose my position because the actor has more power. Uh, but but the gentleman who finally took the job and created it for television did it under a contract that was I get a fee per episode for the run of the series, whether <laughs> I get fired or not. <laughs> and that thing ran for 196 episodes. And they were so desperate to get a producer, they hired this guy. And after six months, Chuck Norris fired him. And he got paid a fee for every single episode for the rest of the run. That and my mailbox like, money. Why didn't I think about that? <laughs> uh, uh, yep. Too silly. So all about contracts and organization. Absolutely. You have to know to, to, know to, know to do those sorts of things. <laughs> but it's also cool to note that she was a female writer in that time period, as you said, who did action and there's not a lot of them one of the big ones is dc fontana mm -hmm. right? dorothy fontana from star trek yeah uh, and so you did either work under a pseudonym or you worked under your initials because the network still believed that men wouldn't watch something that was action oriented if it was written by a woman <laughs> stupid but they still do that right when you were a kid didn't you read the outsiders by s.e hinton Yes, uh, of course I did. I was practically required to growing up in Oklahoma. And, oh, exactly. You know. Oh, my God, right? And, yeah. and and when I tell this to students and I say, look, you think we're getting better, but you all read you all read a whole um, seven-book series by J.K. Rowling. Well, yeah. <laughs> come on, right? I mean, they literally said no boy's going to read a book about a boy wizard that's written by a girl named Joanne. Mm-hmm. Just an annoying thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> We must break this habit by reading books by people of all genders about whatever the heck they feel like writing about. Sounds good to me. <laughs> well, let's get into this lovely episode written by Trevor Silverman. Hey, get the door. I'm good. Hi, Mike. Hey, Bobby. How's it going, man? All right. There's a free booklet to Mr. Peter Tork from the Hercules Bodybuilding School. Bodybuilding? What is that? <laughs> this looks important. 
says, congratulations. Because of your unusual taste and achievements, you have been selected for this exclusive offer. That's for you, Mike? Well, yeah, it's dear occupant. <laughs> Ring us your songs and let us start you off on a profitable new career. High-class music publishers. That sounds like a bad idea. I may bring them my song. Hey, you wrote a song, Mike? Well, I, you know, um, yeah, kind of. Hey, Mike's a songwriter. <laughs> oh, mammy. Through the years, my partner and I have written many of the songs that kept America tapping its feet. In 1952, all America was humming this never-to-be-forgotten hit. What was the name of that hit? Oh, never mind, it doesn't matter. And then, our three most recent favorites. I'll never stop loving Louisa. I'll never stop kissing Lucille. And I'm all turned on about Tina. And then, our most recent hit. I've got that rundown feeling. Okay, you guys go ahead and laugh. Songwriting is a million dollar business, you'll see. Oh, Mike, I forgot to tell you, there's six cents due on that litter. Um, this is a good episode. As, as mentioned, it's kind of our first uh, spotlight episode for Mike. He's, you know, had some important roles to play in in, in many episodes, uh, probably most notably Monkey versus Machine. But this is kind of really one of the first ones that centers on him. Um, we are we open at the pad uh, where Mike receives a, a mail from the postman. One is, one item is a uh, kind of a, a booklet for Peter about a bodybuilding school, and the other is a letter from Mike. For Mike from the High Class Music Publishing Company. And um, later that day, Mike arrives at the High Class Music Publishing Company, which also does greeting cards, storm windows, reconditioned vacuum cleaners, magazine subscriptions, and door lettering. (laughs) (laughs) Some red flags, I think. (laughs) Once they. Hmm? More vaudevillian jokes. Yeah, very true. Once there, he greets another aspiring songwriter, a uh, charming old man who wrote My Funny Valentine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Bernie uh, brings Mike into his office, uh, looks at the song, says he loves it. He's going to sell it to Joni Jans, the hottest singer in show business who will use the song in her latest movie in exchange for $100 for legal fees and incidentals. And apparently that works out to about $776 in 2020 money. Oh, how funny. And notice that we're not... They're not very clear on whether Joni Jans is Janis Joplin or Joni Mitchell. It's kind of a blend of both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the character doesn't particularly seem like either of them when we when we meet Joni, but, uh, you She's know. She's like a 50s movie star, like Annette Funicello, but, like, arrogant. Yeah, yeah. She's got a little Annette, and she's got, you know, yeah. She's kind of yeah. just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm? They didn't know what to make of her, so they just made stereotypes again. Yeah, generic, buxom 50s movie star, basically. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And Mike is so excited about this that he immediately uses the phone booth to call up Mickey, his mom, aw, and uh, Mr. Conway, who he apparently met on a bus five years ago. (laughs) Because he's going to be a millionaire songwriter. (laughs) Well, if your song's going to be in a Johnny Jans movie, it's going to make you rich. Hey, man, will you remember when you're rich and famous? Oh, you know I will, Danny. Davey. <laughs> Mike's going to be rich. <laughs> some, of this, some of the humor in this is actually more meta than the episode itself. But anyway. Yes. 
<laughs> Back at home, the monkeys, excited about Mike's impending success, uh, have a little bit of an imagination sequence set to Gonna Buy Me a Dog, which I will remind everyone is written by Boyce and Hart, not Michael Nesmith, uh, featuring <laughs> them traipsing over all over a park with, what else, a pack of dogs. <laughs> and it, and it's the song that features the the callback line to Mickey's first show. Yes, yes, you can, you can only train elephants. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah, and and actually, but actually, there is uh, more uh, monkey's history than that. To gonna buy me a dog. Um, Roseanne reminded me that Davy actually performed this song for Farmer's Daughter uh, shortly before the monkeys started uh, filming the pilot. Exactly. We'll send a link to that as well. It's fun to see him. They didn't know what to make of him. They knew they wanted to use him. They knew he was attractive and interesting and he had his Tony nomination. Um, so he appears on this episode with Farmer's Daughter, which of course has monkey connections because we know their auditions were filmed on the set of the Farmer's Daughter. Mm-hmm. Yep, it absolutely was. And I think we talk a little bit about this Farmer's Daughter appearance. A few years ago, we did a, a piece on like the monkey's top 10 guest appearances or something like that. And I think Farmer's Daughter at least got mentioned on that one. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think we did at one point when we talked about them being in the the auditions, we talked about that. Yeah, too. we talked a little bit about it in the pilot, but I don't think we mentioned uh, Davy singing Gonna Buy Me a Dog. That that was interesting. So. True. <laughs> yeah. True. So uh, Mike had to pawn his guitar uh, to, to get the money to pay Bernie for, for $99.95, but Bernie <laughs> let him owe him the last five cents and uh, then questions him. He's thinking here at this point about how he knows that song is really going to make it to Joni Jans, and we're going to insert some more audio here of that phone call. Wait a minute. How do I know for sure that Joni Jans is really going to do my tune in her movie? How do you know for sure? Well, I'd bet your life on it. Better still, I'll call her and prove it to you. Hello? Hello, Joni baby? Bernie baby. No, there ain't no Joni here. How's everything down at the studio? Yeah, I know, baby. Are you ready to talk turkey about the Nesbaum tune? Nesbaum. Harry, who is it? Listen, buddy, there ain't no Joni here. Yeah, I know, baby. It gets me right there, too. Give me the phone, Harry. I'll get rid of him. <laughs> Max, I told you never to call me here. You bet, baby. Sure, he's on his way to fame and fortune. Mike <laughs> then tells the guys of his big break on the phone. Um, but Mickey, which is interesting because canonically his character as well as him is from the LA area area. He's interestingly, he's the one who thinks that, that Mike has been had. Correct. Yeah. Usually he's the hopeful one, not the one who would sense that. That's yeah. Cynical. Yeah, but, but you know, I, it's it's in a later episode, but we, we do learn that Mickey, the character, is from L.A., so. <laughs> well, and, you know, partially that's because by taking Mike out of the leadership role he normally plays, the sort of pseudo-father role, and making him sort of this humble, shyer character for this episode, somebody else has to step into those boots. Yeah, very true. And Mickey's the tall one, so I guess it's him. <laughs> Yeah, but it also, like I said, within show canon, if you think about it a little bit, it also makes sense that Mickey would be the one, the first one to kind of smell a rat here. So, True. you know, so not knowing what else to do, they decide that this is a job for monkey men. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Peter's having some issues, some flying issues today. So, Poor Peter. You notice in the beginning, though, he's like winning at checkers. 
So yeah. it's interesting. Like he's he's the dumb guy. He's the smart guy. He's what, what's going on with Peter? I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I think that's that's Treva slipping in her idea that he's not. You know, she didn't want to make him the dummy. She wanted to make him sort of the awkward genius character, if I recall correctly. So that's right. So she was trying. She was trying to beat the guys at their own game, but yeah. the other writers overrode her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, while disguising themselves as piano tuners, the guys go into Bernie's office to spy on him. Um, he is speaking into a dictaphone, uh, telling them to put a letter he wrote to Michael praising his song into Mimeo and have 500 copies printed. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> the rat has been smelled. And unfortunately, Mike, during all this, has taken his song to the soundstage where Joni Jans is making the wolf girl meets the vampire in the Old West and becomes dejected when Joni t- tells him she's never heard of him or his song. Aww. Aww. Very sad. I noticed how, how easily a total, like, yeah. not connected to the film got to walk all the way backstage on a major movie. Like, that would ever happen. Yeah, I, 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 that did not strike me as particularly plausible. <laughs> <sighs> so back at the pad, we've got a depressed Mike, um, just so frustrated that he'd been conned, is, is, is hiding in his room and resisting every attempt his, his, his buddies are making to cheer him up. Though, though Peter does make a bit of a dent at the end. And, uh, we're going to insert the audio from that scene because this is actually just like, just a really genuinely sweet scene where you can see, I don't know, th- this is another one where you can see really the chemistry's kicking in between these guys. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. I thought I'd just sort of sit around the house and fail. Man, you didn't fail. He tricked you. Oh, maybe I tricked myself, Davey. Maybe that song just wasn't that groovy. Man, that was a great song. And if that had ever got in the movie, it would have been a smash hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Mike. You want to see my impression of the inimitable James Cagney? No. You dirty rat! I'm gonna get you, you dirty rat! <laughs> Wanna see my impression of Fred Astaire doing his impression of the inimitable James Cagney? Really, Mickey, I'd rather just skip it. Okay, you dirty rat! I'm gonna get you, you dirty rat! Hey, come on, Mickey, I'm just not in the mood, man. Hey, Mike. Mike? What, Peter? My mother says that you have the best posture of anyone she knows. <laughs> Thank you, good buddy. Exactly. And my, my joke earlier with all this Robert Redford reference, excuse me, all this Robert Wagner referencing, uh, Peter suggests they go see With a Song in My Heart which is a movie that came out in 1952. So it's not going to be playing in 1967 on any theater anywhere. Yeah. Uh, But also it happened to be Robert Wagner's first appearance in a film as a young soldier being sung to by Susan Hayward. And it made so much fan mail, something that monkeys were well familiar with, um, that it made him, you know, a big teen heartthrob back in his day. There you go. Yeah. It's all connected. Telling you. (laughs) Yep. But uh, after trying to raise his spirits, they come up with an idea to help Mike. 
Mickey, using his uh, his um, mimicry talents, calls up Bernie, claiming to be a big shot movie mogul MD. Uh, and then they, too, managed to make it into the studio. <laughs> Which is very reminiscent to, of course, the pilot when they do Will Hat. Will Hat's here. Give Will Hat a room. Will Hat's oh, yeah. Room. It's basically the same shtick. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but it's Mickey instead of Mike, like you said. That's so interesting. Yeah. And then the three of them, as MD and his uh, two yes men, park the monkey mobile in Dean Martin's spot. Um, there's probably something cute to be said there. <laughs> well, we know, right? The Dean Martin said, I'm going to bump those guys off the top ten, and yeah. he did. And, of course, Deanne is going to appear next season on the show, which we don't know yet. So. Yeah, very true. And they brashly proceed to take things over, convincing everyone, including the director and producer, that Mickey is a big shot. Uh, Bernie gets there. Um, MD tells him that he wants to buy uh, the song for his new Joni Jans movie. Movie because Joni will be portraying the part of an animal lover. Sir, it was very kind. Please. No fawning. Why must they always fawn? <laughs> Class, I called you here because I want a song for Joni's new movie. It's starring Joni, Gregory Peck, Elizabeth Taylor, Doris Day, and Sonny Tufts. Sonny Tufts? <laughs> what a production. It's MD's first low budget picture. The title of the song has to have a dog in it. A dog, sir? But why a dog? You? A Bernie. Ask me, an MD, why a dog? I only meant that... Because... <laughs> Tony plays the part of an animal lover. That's why a dog. How about... I'm gonna buy me a dog. That'll have to do. Who wrote it? Some kid called Nishwash. Nesmith. <laughs> Never heard of him. I like the title of that song. Class... Get me that song. Yes, M.D. Certainly, M.D. May I call you M.? No. Get me Nishwash first. I'll be back with him in ten minutes. Class. Back at eight. Class. What are you waiting for? The sham has Bernie fooled as he suggests that, uh, as he suggests Mike's tune, going to be my, buy me a dog. And, um, but then Mike, being sensible, asks for $200 in order to place the song under exclusive contract. <laughs> and you know, when you're watching this for the first time, your brain goes, he's trying to cheat him out of $100. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem very nice. You don't know until later what he's going to do with that other $100. Exactly, exactly. Nice. And, and and the four monkeys laugh at having turned the tables. And then uh, and then with that, the main story's ended, and we get a song sequence set to Mary Mary with the guys just kind of running around a soundstage, chasing Peter around, um, culminating with Mike shooting Peter in what looks to be a reenactment of the uh, kind of famous on-set gang that the monkeys and a lot of the uh, crew used to play called bang so basically they just run around you know fake shooting each other so yeah exactly and doing cool death scenes cool death scenes they are always trying to to to, um to uh outdo each other apparently i want to say it was mickey said he shot um uh jim frawley when he was accepting his emmy and 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 he didn't play along (laughs) (laughs) yeah no not in my tuxedo sorry And then after that, we get kind of the tag of the episode. Uh, Mike shares the other $100 that he got from Bernie with his fellow victim, the old man, uh, since they'd both been swindled. And then the old man tells Michael about his new song that he plans on writing called, I Want to Buy Me a Dog. (laughs) Ba-dum-bum. And then then as Mike, Mickey, and Davey prepare to leave, they are looking for Peter. They don't know where he's gone. And then they look 
up in the sky and see Peter in monkey man gear now finally able to fly through the air. It's very sweet. It's very cute. Yeah, it's just a sweet episode. It's it's another one of those. We kind of talked about this a little bit uh, with a few others. It's got a little bit more heart to it. Exactly. And, you know, the the message again, there's not huge messages sometimes, but the idea that it's you can't trust someone over 30, but you can trust somebody over 70. Right. The the young generation is he's always helping people who are elderly. We're going to go with, you know, with Monkey Mayor. We'll get there. And you could say all the Rosemary is not that old in the Monkey Mother episode, but they're more geared toward helping the generation before the one they don't like. Yeah. Well, R- Rosemary, that's an interesting situation. I don't want, you know, I don't want to do too far down that lane because we're actually going to have to talk about that episode at some point. But I think that one's almost a hybrid because, yes, they're finding her a nice guy because that's what she really wants is another husband. But they're also doing it because she's a pain in the butt roommate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting kind of playing one foot in both worlds with that. But again, we're good to that in a while. So exactly. Uh, anything else you wanted to say about the episode proper? Um, I'm just looking quickly over my thoughts here. One thing I think is cute is that um, one of the Joni Jen's lines is a bit about, you know, have you heard of Mike Nesbeth? No, it's it's only a rumor. We're just good friends, which, of course, is what Davey had to say about taking Sally Field out publicly and about Lulu and all the other women they put him together with. Right. So mm-hmm. that was a typical part of their world. They understood that. And then I did have to look up. I knew that I'd always laughed at this, and I didn't know why. But when Mickey's pretending to be MD and his next movie is going to star Elizabeth Taylor and Gregory Peck and Sonny Tufts, <laughs> it was like Sonny Tufts. And, you know, he's actually – he was a well-known actor um, in the 50s. But his career got sunk because three different women accused him of assault. Whoa, I didn't know that detail. Yes, and um, and he ended up paying out. Um, they had proof of he bit them. Um, and hit them and things like that. And, but he actually then sort of made a weird comeback in the 60s on television. And he was in the Virginian around the time, you know, he's going to end up on the monkeys too, or being mentioned on the monkeys. And so he was a known name, which okay. means nothing to us nowadays. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. And, of course, nothing happens with of that sort with our, you know, Hollywood stars today. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Not at all. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. But yeah. I thought that it's pretty – you covered all the really cool stuff. So Cool. Okay. Uh, and then let's go ahead and move on to the songs. We actually have two songs, both of which are were, were featured on the show for the first time in this episode. The first one, of course, is uh, going to be – gonna. <laughs> the first one, of course, is Gonna Buy Me a Dog, uh, written by Boyce and Hart. Uh, it was recorded July 23rd and July 24th of 66. Personnel, Mickey Dolans and Davy Jones on vocals. Jerry <laughs> McGee, Wayne Irwin, and Louis Shelton on guitar. Larry Taylor bass, Billy Lewis drums, Bobby Hart organ. So, yeah, Ooh. I should have said Mickey Dolans and J.V. Jones on vocal and sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> and and improving apparently. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think they just, it, it, you know, it sounds like it, they kind of blow the first take a little bit, and then so they just basically spend the rest of the take riffing off of it, and right. there you go. Boom, it winds up, you know, on the album and on the show. It was that good, so. But it's like, it, hello, it's like their zilch bit. There's something about we didn't have as much exposure to our celebrity crushes in the day right there weren't a million shows they could appear on and there weren't youtube videos and there was nothing 
So a little thing like that was a a, sort of a window into the fact that they were real people hanging out with each other. And in the same way that the seeing them backstage during Mary Mary is like, wow, that is what their world really looks like. The part we're never supposed to see. So it's very, very, um, very fan based stuff. That is true. And I do remember that first time I saw this episode on Nick as a kid, you know, on in the 80s, just really being fascinated by that video. It's like, oh, wow, that's what backstage on a TV show looks like, you know? Exactly. How else were you going to know that, right? Exactly. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. People don't realize, you know, there's crew and all these people right behind everyone doing every little thing they're doing and everything they say. It's my joke about why I don't like reality TV, because when everybody on um, – Whatever that that island movie, big not big brother, Survivor. Survivor. Whenever anybody on Survivor is complaining about being hungry, I'm like, dude, there's a cameraman right behind you, and there's a crew, and there's actually a cafe, and you can probably pick up a cheeseburger in two minutes. So don't talk to me about being hungry. I'm sorry. It's just the stupidity of it makes me crazy. Yeah, (laughs) craft services is not going to let you starve to death, Bob. Exactly. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. So anyway, yes, that's. But I think those were really. Those are so engaging to fans, and you weren't getting that from your other shows. Yep, very true, very true. I mean, it was, yeah, I, I mean, it, it would be a stretch to call it reality TV, but it was the one of the early shows that really kind of busted the fourth wall on a regular basis. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and now we it happens all the time, and we don't even think about it, you know? Yet another <laughs> way that they were not just pioneering in music. Oh no no that's why they're that's why they're a pioneer TV show that needs to be recognized more often for the that reason. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and then our other song paradoxically enough uh written by Michael Nesmith, Mary Mary. <laughs> you think they could have done that one as the one he was trying to sell them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and I was trying to think, okay, what had he written at that point that would have fit the story because most of what he'd written, because I can think of things that he wrote like later on his, in his career, like you know, so he he, he kind of wrote some sillier stuff like in the eighties and nineties. But it's like mostly at that point, it was stuff like you know, Nine Times Blue and Papa Jean's Blues and things like that. And it's like you know, or even Mary Mary is like that that wouldn't really work for this story. I don't know. Yeah, but I think the vaudevillian sort of the the light fluffiness of the episode exactly he wasn't fluffy yet he 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 had to grow up a little bit to get fluffy he he was very you know a lot of earnest ballads in those days <laughs> well you notice he's not the one joking around on the narrative either right if they were all filming together recording together he could have tossed in a line but he didn't yeah very that true. wasn't something he was comfortable with but davy and nikki could yeah yeah Good enough. Yeah. Well, and Mary Mary uh, was recorded July 25th and 27th of 1966. Personnel, Mickey was lead and backing vocals. Uh, James Burton, Glenn Campbell, Al Casey, Mike DC, and Peter Tork on guitar. Um, Bob West on bass, Hal Mullane on drums, Jim Gordon and Gary Coleman on percussion, uh, Michael Coleman and Larry Nectel on keyboards. So there we go with Mary Mary. I just remembered something I forgot to say about Gonna Buy Me a Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, while we hear their narration up front, we get the joke about Circus Boy. I never noticed until looking at it again for this episode that at the end, Davy says the thing they're coming to take us away. Ha ha. He he. And I thought to myself, wait, I never realized Monster Mash came out before the monkeys did. Yeah, I think it did. Well, I looked it up. It came out in 1962. Yeah. 
Yeah. So see, I, I had no idea. Like, I don't even know why that didn't occur to me before, but I thought, how funny. He's riffing that song. Mm-hmm. We'll do the monster episode of the monkeys later. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to get more into that then. Yeah, absolutely. Any other final thoughts about this episode or anything else? Um, the only thing I was going to say, I mentioned earlier in terms of theme, uh, of course, the idea that it's about them helping helping this older guy. So it's, you got a little bit of that younger generation thing. But also, it's so fun. It matches the devil and Peter Torque in that it literally starts with a shot of money's the root of all evil, that embroidery thing hanging on the wall. And it really is about, I don't want to sell this. I, I mean, they, they want the money because they're starving. But yeah. he wants to be a good artist. That is the ultimate goal. And that's uh-huh. such interesting. Like you said, that's a heartfelt kind of theme that people could get behind. Yeah, very true. Uh, especially in the sixties, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. you know, very earnest time and, 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 you know, all, all kinds of young artists trying to make their way in the world in one form or another. So exactly. But because they have something to say, which is why it's funny that the song they chose is a song that has nothing to say. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that was one of those, it, 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 it I didn't think about it very much when I was a kid and first saw the show. And then when I re- like revisited the show, in my 20s, it, by the way, for, for our younger listeners, come back to the monkeys in like your early 20s when you're about the same age as the guys were when they were starring in the show. It's a whole different viewing experience. <laughs> it is. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll double that one, as we mentioned, Rosemary, which we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. You come back to it when you're the mother of someone that old. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, these are my, my sons. Yeah. And they help. And they're so sweet. <laughs> Yeah, and and it was interesting, and and I kind of got annoyed for real world Mike Nesmith when I revisited this episode in my twenties. It's like, why couldn't they have used one of his actual songs? But you know, I was I was quite a neshead in those years, <laughs> a nerd girl from Oklahoma. Who'd imagine? <laughs> but you know, I think that's what we're saying about the show in general. Is is what I tell students about what makes the difference between a classic and a piece of pulp reading is that you can go back to a classic at every stage in your life. And gain something new from it. And I mean, I'm not trying to say that we're talking about Dickens here, yeah. but where you can see something different in this program that you don't necessarily see if you're watching, let's say, The Farmer's Daughter. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's just a case of, I've said this a few times in different episodes, both the music and the show were better than they had to be to meet kind of, you know, I don't know, the brief of what the monkeys were kind of intended to be. And because of that, kind of through nobody's actual intent, it's accidentally survived 50 years and we're still talking about it. And that is like the most beautiful place to end because you are exactly right. Yeah, very true. And speaking of uh, wrapping up, we will uh, see you soon for our next episode, episode 13, One Man Shy. Top five favorite episode for me. Totally. Um, Bashful Peter gets help from his fellow monkeys when he tries to win the heart of a pretty debutante. Uh, once again, written by Treva Silverman, though uh, this time she's uh, billed third behind Gardner and Caruso. And as we learned, uh, Earlier, that is because they did some, uh, kind of punched up the script a little bit for her. And directed by James Frawley. Um, and I, I think it's cute that, uh, one of Mike's, uh, first real spotlight episodes is followed by Peter's first real bit major spotlight episode. So, uh, really looking forward to this one. Me too. It's a good one. Again, it's, it's got heart to it. 
It's a good one. It's got heart. And unlike the last few episodes where it's been this laundry list of people, there are only two guest stars. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, now I'll have to see if any of them had anything to do with Robert Wagner. Now, that should be interesting to find out. You guys are going to have to stay tuned and learn more. (laughs) Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this uh, session of Monkeys 101. Thanks, as always, for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Roseanne Welch is a Mickey girl and the author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. After a career of writing for television shows like Touched by an Angel, Picket Fences, and Beverly Hills 90210, Roseanne shifted gears and went into education. She now writes on film and television studies and teaches in the screenwriting program at Stevens College. Dr. Sarah Clark is an April Conquest and proud of it. When not podcasting here at Zilch, a Monkey's podcast, or writing at her blog, Fandom Lenses, her not-terribly-secret identity, she can be found leading a university library in the Philadelphia area. Sarah is convinced that her utter inability to understand Head when she was 11 sparked the intellectual curiosity that led her into academia. If only she'd known the guys themselves didn't understand Head either. Okay, so that was Monkeys 101 for I've Got a Little Song Here. A great episode, really one of my favorites. And, uh, mm-hmm. oh, man, next time we get to do One Man Shy, which is easily a top five episode. I, I'm real oh, already gosh. looking forward to that one. Um, but, Christine, uh, you you know, I've gone on about it for the last 45 minutes or so, and, and, and Roseanne has. What are your thoughts about I've Got a Little Song Here? Oh, I, I I was nodding my head enthusiastically uh, when you were talking about how it is, you know, one of the one of the deeper, more emotionally resonant uh, episodes. And um, the the thing that st- always sticks out to me though is if Mike is, you know, trying to get one of his songs. Why didn't they pick one of his songs? <laughs> well, you know, I guess I still, still sort of, you know, I, I, like I say in the episode, I struggle with that one, especially when I like rewatched it in my twenties. Cause you know, I was another kind of, you know, emo artist it, it, and, and I was about the same age as, you know, at least the character was in the show it, it, when I was watching it in the nineties, rewatching it in the nineties. But I, I, like I said, I, I tried to think of what he had actually written in late, like mid late 66 that would be like that kind of upbeat boppy thing that would have worked for the episode you know it's like maybe papa jeans blues maybe but that's i don't know what 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 do you think might have fit yeah i i I don't know i i I just ask the questions sarah i don't answer them (laughs) i report you decide Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, and unless there's anything else you wanted to share about, I've got a little song here. Nope. Okay. Then I think we have done quite enough for this episode of Zilch. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Um, keep those cards and letters coming and, uh, we'll have all sorts of goodies on the Zilch Facebook page. And anytime there is new news or new fun stuff coming in in Monkey's World, you will find it out here on Zilch, a Monkey's podcast. 
but we won't talk about the gossip on the boards. (laughs) (laughs) You got the rest of the internet for that, kids. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I might actually keep that in there. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) And that's our show. (laughs) And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. Don't now. Now, really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. Action. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice thought. Gee, that's a neat button. What does it say? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go again. And then um, the one that I didn't think of that Christine thought of, of a, um, which have I not done? the monkey doing another monkey's song yeah yeah okay yeah, right uh, of a uh monkey covering another uh monkey's song is i had it down um, the suspense is building <laughs> <laughs> i'm on the edge of my seat <laughs> it is Wait a second. Did I do did, did I do that one already? Let's see. I did. Name it. I did Privy. I did this. Oh, it. What? Here it is. Okay. I, no, you I was did. You said Privy. Yeah, I did for that one. That's what was confusing me. I was like, wait, I thought I did that already.